Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we chat with Christian counselor Brad Hambrick on mental illness, what it is, why we're sometimes nervous to engage it, and how we're to think about medicine as a solution. Let's ask the question, did Jesus experience mental illness? Did Jesus ever get to a point when his emotions were so overwhelming that they began to change the way his body functioned? I would say yes. Hey, my name is Isaac, host of In Doubt. This week we start a brand new two-part series on mental illness, or mental health as you might say. Uh, Brad Hambrick, who is a Christian counselor in North Carolina, has generously given some of his time and wisdom to chat with us. This week we're looking at what exactly mental illness is and why we're sometimes scared of engaging it and how we ought to think about medicine as a possible solution to mental illness. And then next week, we're going to be having a conversation on two manifestations of mental illness that seem quite kind of far-reaching, and they are anxiety and depression, as I'm sure maybe you experience yourself or someone close to you does as well. So Brad will help us think about those. Anyways, let's get into this week's conversation with Brad Hambrick. With me today is Christian counselor and author Brad Hambrick. Brad serves as the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in North Carolina. He's an instructor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's also a council member of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. So lots, lots of counseling. Um, thanks for being here today, Brad. It's great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, as we do with every single one of our guests, uh, it just really helps just kind of paint a picture of the voice. Um, what, if you want to, it would be great to hear how you met Jesus uh, and also what your sort of day-to-day -day life looks like right now. I came to faith uh, at a small country church in the rural Midwest of uh, Kentucky. Uh, so I grew up on a corn and soybean row cropping farm and uh, came to faith uh, under the faithful preaching and teaching in about a 150-200 member church. Uh, was nurtured in my faith by the same Sunday school teacher from the age of uh, third grade through 11th grade, uh, as there were five or six of us that was the totality of the youth group at our church uh, who were uh, invited into the home and played with and taught the scriptures uh, there uh, in that area. Uh, at this juncture in my life, uh, I have two boys of my own who are 10 and 13. Uh, my wife, Sally, and I are having a blast. And uh, this is that season of life when school and different sports leagues and hobbies uh, and the kids still want to play and have you be a part of most things that they're a part of. Uh, and so that fills most of our days. And then it really is a joy. That's, that's awesome. Do you have any like enjoyable hobbies that you do? I don't know if, are you a sports person or? Uh, well, right now, uh, coaching my boys sports teams, uh, which happens to be baseball uh, for each of them. A couple of years ago, my youngest informed me that it was his goal that we run a marathon together before he graduates high school. Uh, and so while I don't enjoy running, I do love my son and I love my son more than I dislike running. And so uh, we are currently at the half marathon stage of training. Oh, my goodness. That is uh, much respect to you. I could never do that. So 
I shouldn't say I could never do it, but that's I, I do give you much respect for that. Anyways, thanks for just saying that. That's good to let us know you a little bit. Um, anyways, I guess the first and the basic, but maybe it's difficult, I'm not sure, question is simply this. What is mental illness? Because I, I feel like we, we talk about it, mental health, mental illness, but no one really knows what they're saying sometimes, at least for me, like we use the word, but it's like, what am I actually saying when I talk about mental illness? So yeah, what, what is mental illness? And I think one of the difficulties is, is that the term is used to describe so many different things. Uh, and even when we narrow it down to a particular life struggle, uh, say depression or anxiety, uh, even there, the word can have such a breadth of meaning uh, that these are the kinds of words that, uh, that I often say they're words like dog. Uh, and the word dog can mean everything from poodle, which is a cat that barks, uh, to Great Dane, which is a horse that people invite to live in their house. Right. <laughs> and they're all dog, uh, but they're very, very different. The uh, temperament, the personality, degree of aggressiveness, um, all of those things are going to be there. So when we start to ask the question, uh, what is mental illness? I think it might be more accurate to say what kinds of struggles uh, fall under the category uh, of mental illness. Uh, and so some guiding ideas that I would put out there. Um, mental illness is a life struggle that is to some degree common to all people. Uh, and so uh, we all experience depression and the, every time I forget to set my alarm clock, uh, I am OCD the next two weeks about making sure that I've done it and my mind just can't rest. Right. And so the kinds of things that fall under this are the things that we all struggle with. Uh, now, they do tend to hit a degree of significance or persistence, the degree to which it's impacting my life or the duration of time, where we say, okay, this is, this is moving from a garden variety uh, common to all people where the passing of time uh, is just going to make it go away or it's not really worth our attention to where now this this merits more of our attention. Mm. Um, now, mental illness, the kinds of things that fit in that basket, um, they can be caused by our physical body, uh, whether that's brain chemistry, habituated neural pathways, genetics, glandular system. Uh, it can be environmental causes, uh, trauma, poor socialization, abusive or neglectful home life, uh, or personal choices. Uh, the consequences of sinful or foolish decisions uh, on a spectrum from an isolated bad choice with major implications to addiction. Hmm. Uh, and so oftentimes in these kind of debates, uh, I hear people wanting to narrow it to one sphere. Uh, you know, is it brain chemistry? Is it environment? Is it choice? Uh, well, with the breadth of things that can fall under the category of mental illness, uh, I think the the best answer to that is yes. Uh, and um, over time, usually all of those things begin to get involved. And, and so the question uh, is both one of causation, where did this have its origin, uh, and intervention, which sphere would be most helpful given this individual that we can begin to engage in the most fruitful ministry. Uh, and that's something that is going to be much more a case-by-case, person-by-person assessment than it is a universal, this is what you need to do in all cases of something that might call be called mental illness. 
Right. So you mentioned, okay, that, that's great. I love that. That's, that's helpful. Um, you mentioned anxiety. You mentioned depression. What other sort of illnesses, I guess, or not, I, I, don't, know, I don't even know if I should call it illness, but what other sort of uh, manifestations of mental illness are there then? Right. Uh, and it can, it can really cover uh, the spectrum of uh, attention deficit. Uh, the child who isn't just uh, misbehaved or poorly disciplined, but really struggles to pay attention in the classroom. Uh, then you have things such as Asperger's and the autistic spectrum, where um, you know some of us we get relationships more than others, but there can be a, a significant deficit in somebody's aptitude to pick up on emotional cues and relational cues. Uh, there can be things in the reality testing domain uh, where it is difficult to tell that passing thought that runs through my head that's just a, a crazy thought. Uh, and then, no, I have a hard time distinguishing that from reality. Um, you can get in the domain of OCD and addiction. Um, you know, that, that's a bit of a cross-section of the kinds of things uh, that culturally we say the best rubric we have right now for understanding this is mental illness. Right. Okay. No, that's, that's helpful. That's good. So, Brad, in your experience, though, like why why is mental illness such a taboo topic? Like, why, why are so many people afraid of engaging it, especially sometimes Christians, it seems like? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, and I'll try to address that from two angles. One is the cultural angle, uh, and one is the uh, Christian angle. Uh, and, and so culturally, I think one of the things is, is when we hear mental illness, uh, we often have the kind of fear that happens when somebody gets told uh, that they're experiencing Alzheimer's. And we think, oh, no. I can no longer trust that little voice in my head that runs all of my life uh, because it's glitching. Mm. Um, and uh, the thought that um, I, if I struggle, this means I'm crazy. Right. That and that kind of stigma and that kind of fear. Uh, that's why where I started in defining it of anything that that meets the criteria of mental illness is the kind of thing. Uh, that we all struggle with. Uh, and so it's just a matter of uh, the depth of the struggle, the duration of the struggle. Uh, and so uh, with most things that fit this category, whether it is behavioral, relational, medical, uh, there are interventions uh, that can significantly um, diminish the impact uh, that that is having. Um, now, the uh, on the Christian side of the spectrum, I think that's just kind of general population of which Christians would be a part. Right. When we move to the subset of the population uh, that is Christian, uh, then uh, I think oftentimes because the line between um, mental illness and morality is not clear, uh, and we're a culture that highly values character. Right. Uh, on the one hand, we... We don't want to abdicate responsibility for anything that we're responsible for, uh, because if it's a moral infraction, we have a remedy for that. Uh, and that is Christ and his death, burial, resurrection, the forgiveness that he offers, and anything that we can apply that remedy to, uh, we want to do that. Right. 
we want to have a high view of God's power and presence and willingness to intervene. And so somehow we think if we say, oh, I, I've got a struggle in an area that would be considered mental illness, then this is somehow I'm saying God doesn't apply to that. Mm. Uh, and that can be a very uh, false dichotomy. This is, it has to be all of one or none of the other. Yeah, uh, And it can't be the thinking patterns that I get into when I am highly anxious. Uh, those are some things where a good skill-based training on good mental hygiene uh, would serve me well. And I want to utilize those uh, in faith that God is going to use that as part of how he sanctifies me in my day-to-day life and learning to manage my emotional world better. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, do we see, Brad, mental illness in the Bible? Like, does it, does, does it, the Lord address it in his word in some sense? Well, again, if we say mental illness is as broad as every human experience uh, and that we are fallen, broken people and none of us are operating normally. Uh, normal is pre-Genesis 3 right. and heaven. Uh, everything in between there is broken. Uh, so in that sense, yes, we see it. Uh, I'll give an example uh, that that I think has merit, but makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Okay. Uh, I'll take your question uh, and I'll up the ante just a touch. Uh, Let's ask the question, did Jesus experience mental illness? Mm. Did Jesus ever get to a point when his emotions were so overwhelming that they began to change the way his body functioned? I would say yes. Right. Gethsemane, when the weight of what he was getting ready to experience was so overwhelming and the change in what was going to be there in his relationship with the father, that his level of anxiety became so great that he sweat drops of blood, uh, that at that point, his emotions, uh, they did not impair his ability to make moral choices. He still honored God in every way. Uh, But if he went to his psychiatrist and said, I am so stressed out that my sweat looks red, uh, that they could have given him a a diagnostic for that. Uh, And and here's the value of that. It's not a shock value kind of thing. It's it's that our Savior, who was tempted in every way as we were and was yet without sin, experienced that kind of overwhelming emotional moment. And it means even when we come to these things that are that overwhelming, it doesn't make them less painful. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't look for ways to alleviate that suffering. But it does mean even in the midst of that kind of mental anguish, we can honor God. Right. So for the person who looks at me and says, I experienced bipolar. And there's times when I don't sleep for days. And my thoughts are racing. And and in the moment, I have a hard time telling that they're grandiose. But when I look back at the choices that I made, even in the midst of that, there may be some things I need to do medically and life choices and uh, that kind of thing that will help alleviate that. But in that moment, I don't have to be non-manic to honor God. That it's in that context that if I steward that moment well, that... I don't have to be at a normal energy range in order for my life to honor God. That's so good. Yeah. And that's where people, you can see them kind of breathe a sigh of relief. They're like, I'm not sure what this means and what it looks like. 
but you've given me hope as a believer uh, that this thing that that I have very minimum direct control over. I mean, how much can I impact when my body goes into this manic episode? It, I don't have to not do that. that. That's so good. So pretty much in general, you're saying you can struggle with mental illness even in the worst cases of that and still honor God because we see that in Jesus, uh, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's, that's actually really helpful. It's freeing in a sense. So I, I, I'm glad that you say that. Um, now, I know this next question, Brad, is, is way larger than our time allows. Uh, I think every single one of these questions are, but anyways, maybe just on a very basic surface level, how, how should we as Christians consider medicine when it comes to mental health? The short, simple answer is one potential tool in our toolbox okay. uh, that, um, that overcoming a life struggle with or without medicine has no impact on our degree of faith or non-faith. Hmm. Um, and so I think all of life can be explained by Little League athletics. Uh, <laughs> that is my bias as a sports coach. Uh, and, and I can tell you when I played uh, and I had an injury, I did not want to take an aspirin or a Tylenol or anything like that because I thought it was more noble to play with pain uh, than not. Right. Uh, and that was that was just a false sense of bravado. Um, and so um, whatever decision that we make, uh, it is about a goodness of fit. Uh, one of the things that I'll send that you can link with this podcast is uh, something that I wrote up. It's just kind of a six step progression uh, for understanding the wise use of psychotropic medications, mm. because the kind of the short version of what I'm wanting to um, to prevent with that. Uh, if somebody's in a crisis situation, you don't need to go through six steps. You need to alleviate the crisis. But if you're at a spot where you can tell this is mounting and I'm trying to decide if this is a good fit, uh, too often people, they initially experience shame when they think about medication. Right. Which means they keep it a secret. Uh, as they keep it a secret, they feel bad about it. Uh, they get just enough relief from the medication if it's effective, uh, that life is better, but they feel bad about life feeling better. So then they get tired of feeling bad while they feel better and they go off their medication quickly. Mm. That's a big no, no. Right. Well, then they go after off their medication, uh, the side effects of coming off of the medication too quickly, then impact their life situation gets worse. And they take that to mean, see, I need medication for the rest of my life. And then all of life gets interpreted by how is my medication working? Yeah. So that after that, if they're having a bad day, well, I need to go get a medication adjustment. That may be the case because our bodies do change over time. I just turned 40. I'm a living testimony to that. Um, but it, it may also be that our life context, a change in our schedule, stress, uh, and it may be that we need to manage something in life. So with those six steps, I just want people to have a good baseline. Yeah. Uh, I want them to look at what other interventions are possible. So that when they begin to take medication, if that's a choice that they make, they can weigh the benefits that they get from that. 
uh, against whatever side effects that they feel, and they can have an intelligent conversation with their general practitioner or psychiatrist about whether this was a short-term intervention to gain more traction in an area of life that once they kind of get that better under control, then general life management uh, can uh, accomplish what we want or whether this is something that's a good long-term intervention. Uh, and it's one of those things that just helps me manage life well and experience more of the life and have the kind of impact through my life that God designed for me to have when he made me. That's good. That's really good. Brad, what would you say to Christians who o- almost look down on other Christians who say that they take medication for their say, depression or, 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 or what have you, uh, what would you kind of counsel to, to Christians that sort of look down, have a sense of superiority to that? I think often in that kind of situation, we, we take our life experience and we say, I've had some rough emotions. Uh, I've struggled with things like what you're telling me. I didn't need medication for that. You shouldn't need medication for that. Right. Uh, and it assumes my experience Uh, as the baseline for your experience. Interesting. And so the the question, again, in my opinion, is not whether we take medication or not. Uh, It's whether we are stewarding all of our life uh, for the glory of God to make the impact that he designed us for uh, before the foundations of the world when he had good works that we were going to do and walk in them. That's good. And so if if somebody says on a scale of one to 10, uh, my anxiety sits at a six, which means a little bit of a bad day takes me to a seven or eight. Mm. And the medication gets me down to a three or four. And so that I am managing life better. And we look at our friend and we go, yeah, they're engaging their family well and their workplace and they're productive. Uh, they're not making excuses for other things that they are or are not doing. Uh, then then medication shouldn't be the big deal. That's good. Because this is somebody who uh, is stewarding their life well. Uh, If, on the other hand, somebody's making excuses and they're not engaging certain spots, then the issue is still not medication. Uh, The issue is life stewardship. Right. Uh, And we're coming to that person and saying, hey, I feel like there's some things that that you need to own a little more. You've got these gifts or this amount of time that uh, is not being stewarded well. Uh, And as a brother and sister of Christ, I'd love to come alongside of you and, and at least engage that because from where I'm sitting, I would love to see you have more of an impact uh, for God's kingdom. Yeah. And in neither case are we as a layperson, and even myself as a pastoral counselor, uh, I don't advise on medication. I don't have the credentials to do that. Right. If it's helpful or not, uh, I say, hey, you should talk to your general practitioner. You should talk to your psychiatrist. Uh, But the conversations that I have are discipleship conversations with a counseling bent. Right. Uh, And most of us in a church context, those are the conversations we're going to be having. Yeah, that's good. Um, as a, our last question here before we wrap up this first conversation, what's the best way, I guess, for someone listening uh, and they want to learn more about mental illness and mental health in more of a Christian sort of biblical way, what's the best way they can start to learn this stuff better? What's their, what can they do to better their understanding? My initial thought there uh, is we never talk to a subject. Uh, we only talk to a person. That's good. 
So I never talked to mental illness. I never talked to depression. I never talked to anxiety or bipolar. Uh, I, I talked to a person. Uh, and so the context for most of us in, in the local church where we're doing one another ministry is going to be a friend. Uh, so I think the first step that we take is just to get to know our friend better. Hmm. And when they say, I struggle with X, and X is something that fits in the basket of mental illness, then I want to balance getting to know my friend and as much as I can about their area of struggle. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I've tried to do at the, the site that I run uh, is to keep it topically indexed to where if X is an eating disorder, uh, then somebody can come and they can link. And here is uh, a series of resources that uh, that the stuff that I've done is going to be coming from a Christian perspective. Uh, it's going to allude to some of the secular best practice research. There's going to be some book recommendations there. Uh, and to try to give somebody a resource where uh, I'm not reducing you to a struggle. That's good. Which is one of the the real dangers on both sides of the cultural and Christian part of the conversation right. uh, is we tend to put whatever the X of mental illness is and we place an I am in front of it. Hmm. Uh, I am bipolar. Uh, I am anorexic. Um, as opposed to my identity uh, is who God made me to be. And I have a particular struggle. Right. I'm a Christian who struggles with depression. I'm a Christian who struggles with anxiety. And so one of the ways that as a friend, when we're coming alongside getting to know this, we get to know them as a person and we never allow their life struggle to become the forefront matter of our conversations. That's so good. That's awesome. Uh, they're always our friend. Yeah. We're more than happy to talk about our struggle. Uh, and we honor them in that kind of one another relationship where it's a two-way mutual care uh, we let them care for us in some ways. Uh, and oftentimes when any emotional struggle, I mean, when we think about anger, depression, anxiety, uh, when we struggle with those emotions, uh, who is the person that we think about more than anybody else? It's ourselves. Right. Uh, so when we get into that, our thinking kind of spirals in on itself. Uh, and so when we are a context where our friend is still enjoying life with their interests and hobbies, and we allow them to pray for and support us in some things, those are ways that we're helping them stay outside of that experience. And then we're also learning about whatever that struggle is. That's good. Uh, and we don't assume we're an expert on the struggle. We do want to be an increasing expert on our friend uh, and knowing about their experience of that struggle. That's so good. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Um, if you're listening right now and you want to hear more, uh, Brad's website is simply his name, bradhambrick.com. I'll, I'll link that to the episode page as well. Uh, there you can find much more material from him, including the topics and all those different things like he was just saying. Anyways, thanks, Brad, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. That was Christian counselor Brad Hambrick from North Carolina and the Summit Church. 
If in doubt is a Christian ministry that you're on board with, meaning you agree with our mission to bring the gospel into the relevant issues of life and faith that we face every day, cultivating conversation, then consider making a donation. We give away all of our resources for free, but it costs us money, obviously. Uh, this whole ministry survives because of people who believe in our mission. So if you're interested, just click the donate button and follow the prompts at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Stay connected with us through the week on Facebook and Twitter. Those are the best avenues for staying in touch. We love hearing from you, whether it's a suggestion for a guest or topic, a question, or how InDoubt has helped you in any way. To do that, just message us over Facebook or Twitter, or you can always email us at info at Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we hear from Brad Hambrick on two manifestations of mental illness, anxiety and depression. InDoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indo.ca if you live in Canada and indo.com if you live in the U.S.